0: This morning is May 18th, 2008, Sunday morning. Our message this morning will come from Genesis 24, and the title is a gold ring. Gold ring. It will be a little unusual in that we're going to stick to a single chapter this morning. The chapter is long, and uh, I'll refer to other scriptures, but you always keep your place marker here in Genesis 24, and we have a lot to cover. My heart since I got born again, the first things that I was instructed in in the kingdom. Uh, after being baptized in the Holy Ghost, the first thing that happened to me, maybe even before being baptized in the Holy Ghost, was I learned that the heart of God was in serving other people. Our churches today are very long on creed. We can give you a list of what we believe. We can give you a long list of what we believe, and we can segment into different groups on different sides of the street over what we believe. I think God is an awful lot more interested in deeds than creeds. Creed is important. Doctrine is there for the purpose of helping you understand God so that you will know what to do. What doctrine was never meant to do was become the end-all, be-all of Christianity. Well, I know this or I believe this, therefore it's all good with me. The book of James makes it very clear and our church made it into bumper stickers and put it on the backs of our car. It says, You say you have faith, I will show you my faith by what I do. James 2.18, so our slogan became, perform out there what you've practiced in here. we put on the backs of our cars things like, less talk and more walk. This is because we believe in an action-oriented faith, something that causes you to do the things that Jesus did. My hope is that as we do that, people will see Jesus in us. Well, as I began studying Genesis 24, I found something that I thought was beautiful. Genesis 24 is covering a time period of history that is almost 2,000 years B.C. This is during the time period of the patriarchs. Now, it's probably written down during Moses' day around 1600 B.C., but suffice it to say, this story is very, very old. And yet, in the oldest of the stories in the Bible, we're going to find some very similar themes. So y'all pick up with me in Genesis 24, and we'll start in the first verse. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. Genesis 12 mentions that a guy named Abram would be blessed so that he could be a blessing to the other nations. And that all nations on the earth would be blessed through him. God changed Abram, whose name was Exalted Father, to Abraham. The extra little bit of ha in there is the part of God that they call the Ruach HaKodesh. In Hebrew, when you speak the word Spirit of God, you have to make that sound. To us, it sounds like there's milk in the back of your throat and you're clearing it. It's an A-C-H kind of sound. God added to Abraham something, and it changed his name from exalted father to the father of many nations. In other words, the blessing in Abraham's life would not just be about Abraham. It would be about all the nations that God was concerned with. And now Abraham is getting old and is well advanced in years. We're going to cover something this morning that you know I've called a shadow and a type. In this story, we find profound immediate impact for Abraham's life. We draw gleaning from it for our lives, and yet the whole story is reflective of even a large, something hidden behind the text, if you will. In Abraham, the exalted father, the father of many nations, we see a type of God here. God is called the Ancient of Days because he had no origin. He's been there always. And Daniel 7 calls him the Ancient of Days. So now we're in a time period where Abraham has lived many years and he's blessed in every way. And I just want to submit to you as we move forward, it's a little bit like we think of our father God. He had said to his chief servant in his household, the one he put in charge of all he had, put your hand under my thigh. Now, I don't know about you, But we have two marks here who are guests this morning. I'm thankful for both of them. Probably both of them would think it was pretty strange though if we put a chair down here and I said, Hey, come on, friend. Put your hand under my thigh. We're going to talk together. It might even look at me like, Geez, are snakes coming next? What kind of church is this? Right? But in the Oriental customs, in the Middle East, when you put your hand under someone's thigh, what you're doing is you're swearing on that which they're sitting on. Because of this, For instance, uh, a pharaoh in Egypt during the time of Joseph said, There is nothing that separates you and I except this throne that I sit on, Joseph. And they swore by the throne. Then in the Psalms, God speaks about a throne that will endure forever. Many men would sit on it, but the throne itself would endure forever. And then God is pictured as having a throne in heaven. When you put your hand under Abram's thigh and swear, what you're swearing on is his seat of authority. In other words, what we're talking about goes beyond just the lifespan of Abraham. It goes beyond just what the man has or does. And it has to do with the calling that is upon his life, his godly seat of authority. So he said to his chief servant in his household, the one put in charge of all he had, put your hand under my thigh. I found this always interesting. And as I began to study, the chief servant in his household, Well, Genesis 15 mentions a chief servant in his household. Somebody who was from Damascus. Somebody who Abraham said would inherit all he had. And God said, no. No, you're going to have a supernatural son. One that comes from your own body. The kind of thing that might make you laugh because you couldn't think that it was possible. This servant's not going to inherit everything you have. Your supernatural son is. So as I began to look into the servant, I thought, well, why mention him? And why does he show up here again? His name is Eleazar. The Greek word for it is Lazarus. They're the same words. Both have to do with a meaning that says, God is my helper. Now, God is my helper, according to the book of John, is what we call the Holy Spirit. An advocate for us. Someone who helps us. Who intercedes on our behalf. So in this story, what we see forming is actual men doing actual things that we'll read about, and yet their lives represent something larger than their lives. It's as if God the Father spoke and said, Hey, servant in my household, Holy Spirit, come, and I'm going to tell you something to do on oath. Wouldn't that be important to find out what it is then? You know what else is beautiful? The Holy Spirit never came to magnify Himself. He takes from what is God and gives to us. So he's even nameless here, although we know who he is. I want you to swear by the Lord. When you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the Bible, that's called the Tetrachamagron. And it means the name of God. It means Yahweh, the one who has always existed, will always exist, the one who is all by himself. It says, I want you to swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth. "...that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my own country, my own relatives, and get a wife for my son." The servant asked him, "...what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I take your son back to the country you came from?" "...make sure that you do not take my son back there," Abraham said." The Lord, the God of heaven, brought me out of my father's household and my native land, who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, and I will send an angel before you so that you can get a wife from my son there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. So let us be clear, what we're speaking about is the father of many nations speaking to God the Helper saying, I want you to go out among the earth and find a special group of people that will wed my son who was supernaturally born. Now, does that begin to ring a bell for you? Now, it doesn't happen for some 2,000 years after this, but a son is born supernaturally to a virgin named Mary. This son gave us his spirit and his character poured out on Pentecost. And that spirit, the character of that promised son, is ranging throughout the earth, drawing to Jesus, a bride for himself. Well, in the story, then, we find out some interesting things about what God is looking for a bride in his son, for a son. What kind of characteristics would you want in a bride for your son? You know, some of the guys, when you ask that question, if we're not in mixed company, say, Oh, one that's hot, and yet nobody stays hot forever except my wife, who is eternally beautiful. We all age. We all decay. We don't look the same as we did one day. So is that really what we look for in a bride? He said, well, I want one that's well off. They'll never have to work. Riches are fleeting. We've seen pictures in our lifetime of countries whose economies have collapsed and they took whole wheelbarrows full of money and couldn't buy a loaf of bread. So what is it that you would want As a bride for your promised son. The first thing they begin discussing is, what if she's unwilling to come back, this woman? You know, Hebrews 11 begins to speak about Israel leaving Egypt. It says, if they had wanted a chance to return, they would have been given it. God does not want anybody who does not want Him. The turning point in a person's life is when they realize that God is drawing them, and they begin to want God. We have this idea sometimes that God is drawing everybody all of the time. It's not so. John six forty four says, You cannot come to the Son unless the Spirit of the Father draw you. So, well, why would He draw some and not others? Well, He's not willing that any should perish, and He wants to draw all, but not all want Him. So, well, how do you know? We get to a place in our lives, Maybe it's a place where the religious community is about to stone you and you're standing there half naked before all of them knowing that you're guilty and Jesus intercedes on your behalf, shows that they're as guilty as you are and sets you free to go live a life where you're not sinning. I don't know where this point comes, but at some point in a human being's life, you have to make a turn. You have to be willing to follow God. Now, most people are willing to verbally profess it We've made Romans nine ten and 10 a mockery. Romans nine ten and 10 says, If you believe, confess with your mouth, then you're saved. Well, what do you do with the Scripture in James that says, Even the demons believe there's a God? If you believe that He's Lord and that He was raised from the dead, and it's a true statement coming out of your mouth, you'll be saved. But how many people say He's Lord and their actions deny Him? Look, and I was in that category for many, many years. A Scripture got me saved, my church messed up, they let somebody come into our church who didn't hold to our particular creed. Our creed that was the security blanket that kept me lost and carnal. He said, if you say you have fellowship with the Father and you walk in darkness, you lie and you don't practice the truth. I had a real hard time with that because I said Jesus is Lord, but I was sitting in the pew thinking about the sin that I had committed that week and would continue to commit the next week. And I looked and look to the right to see my peer group and wonder whether this was hurting them the same way it was me, because what that would mean is something might change. I was particularly concerned about a young lady that I was involved with. If she gets right with God, that means I'm going to have to find a new young lady. Then he turned to Matthew seven twenty one, and he said, Not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter my kingdom, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven I was crushed because the truth is I have been deceived. I call Satan a deceiver, but then we act surprised when people are actually deceived. Mm -hmm. We act like they know the truth and they just deny it. Sometimes that's true, but that's a small percentage of the population. Most of the time, we're deceived and we're most deceived about ourselves. See, we see other people clearly. This one has this problem. That one has that problem. But when it comes to looking in the mirror and realizing where our own shortcomings are, We're not willing to look there. So I could say the right things. I could pass the part of a Christian. I could make an A in Bible class and even win awards at a private Christian school. But you know what I could not do? Sit at rest with the Scripture that said, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter my kingdom, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I could say, Lord, Lord, very well. Say it in a couple languages if I needed to. But I knew I was not doing the will of the Father who was in heaven, and I was cut to the core. Make no mistake, saints. The Spirit of God is looking for a bride, but He will not take one that is unwilling. Acts 7:51. Stephen makes this amazing statement. He's speaking to the most religious community on earth. He said, you killed all the prophets. You killed everybody who was ever sent in the name of God, but that's not the problem. The problem is you always resist God's Holy Spirit. It is one thing to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. It's one thing to be cognizant of the fact that He was raised. It's quite another to do what His Spirit tells you to do when His Spirit tells you to do it. And friends, would you call me your king if you didn't do anything I said to do? You could say it, but it would be a lie, wouldn't it? Mm. See... This is an important thing. This shadow and type is the exalted father of many nations is speaking to a chief servant who's going out bride. And the issue that they're debating is don't you get a bride from a wicked people group? And don't you get a bride who is unwilling to be obedient? See, we have a whole nation full of people who say that they are the bride of Christ, but they're not obedient to Christ. What do you have when you have someone who looks like a bride? But it's not a bride. Yeah. Revelation. He names it. He names it. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying... To your offspring I will give this land. He will send an angel before you. You can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is un with you, then you will be reached for this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. servant put his hand under the thigh of the master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. I want you to understand before we move on. The oath, the important thing that these two men are negotiating that at length they talk about to make sure with clarity is understood. The bride has got to come from a special people group. And the bride has got to be willing. Those were the only two requirements. Now, it's interesting for us, the New Testament clarifies this. The special people group is whoever is willing. It starts with Israel, and then the great mystery was that you and I could be grafted into the promise that was theirs. The special people group are the people of Israel and anyone who's be willing to be grafted into their king. But nobody who is unwilling gets to go. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out from Aram Neharem and made his way to the town of Nahor. I don't want to bog you down in details, but for instance, we're talking about shadows and types, You have no idea how beautiful this is. This is if the Holy Spirit is out of the presence of God to go search for a bride. The thing that He uses first in the earth as His witness, ten camels. These are like the ten mitzvahs or commandments of God. They're made to carry you through long, dry places because they hang on the water when no one else will. Sometimes we wonder why we are dying and feel like we're in a desert, and it's because we do not do what the commands of God tell us to do. Love our neighbor as ourselves. Love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. Why am I worn out, God? Well, because you're not taking advantage of the kind of life that God said would be abundant for you. You ever met somebody and you thought, they look pretty good for their age. Then you realize they're not 70, they're 40. Yeah. <laughs> I travel with a doctor occasionally. He uses this slide in his presentation, Ergonomic. Have to do with the wear and tear of repetitive tasks on your body. And he says, This woman looks pretty good for her age, doesn't she? And he shows this woman with a road map on her face. And he smiles and says, She's 38. And the crowd always laughs. And yet we see it around us every day. You don't walk in Walmart, drive down the interstate, and see people who are worn out from a life that was not the one God chose for them? If that weren't true, why did we spend the money that we did? We spend more money... On cosmetics in this nation than most countries do on national defense. Why do you think that is? You know, there is nothing more beautiful than who's content, full of the Spirit, and doing what God called them to do because it exudes confidence. You are the, in the place God has called you to be, doing what He's called you to do. And the Bible says, Peter actually says it, that's a beauty that comes from the inside. And it isn't it derived from braided hair, which I love braided hair, or gold jewelry? And I don't think gold jewelry is a bad thing. If you've got a Mr. T Starter kit going on, maybe we could talk about what it does to your cervical spine. God is looking for something, He's looking for a people who will obey His commands. Now, it says that this servant set out with ten camels, like the ten commands of God, looking for a bride, and He set out looking for a region. Now, this region to us, because it's not our tongue, man, it's quite a mouthful, isn't it? Let's see. Uh, See, I'm standing beside, and he prayed. Mm, I lost the region. What verse are we in? He set out for Aram Neharem. This means the land of the two rivers. You know what rivers? The Tigris and the Euphrates. The only rivers on the planet today that we can point to and say the garden. Tigris, the Euphrates, the Gihon, and the Pishon were the four rivers that defined the garden. Now, why would this servant sit out for that region? Well, in Abraham's lifetime, the reason is it's where Abraham was from. But if you're reading this, what might you glean just beneath the surface? If this is like God sending out His Holy Spirit, writing on the commands of God out into all of the earth, for mankind at the very place where we first went wrong, in the garden. And what was the mistake in the Gordon, friends? Let's be honest about it. Our problems are not all that complicated. Your problem is not that this happened and this happened and this happened, and, and now it's overwhelming. Our problem is that at some point in our lives, we refused to do God's will and did our own instead. At some point, we made the choice, I know this is wrong, but I think this is better. That's what Adam and Eve did. They refused God's leadership for their lives upon their own life, the reins, and in effect makes us a God to ourselves. And there's something about it that's very appealing. Don't you like the idea of no man owns me? Nobody controls me. I feet tall, bulletproof. and proof. Nobody makes me do anything. The problem is, is when we're bred on that idea, when that's what we teach, walk around with a three-quarters breath all of the time, how tough we're trying to present an image that absolutely causes death every time. of the time. And so God is looking for people that are broken and humble by that lifestyle. Somebody that says, I tried that and it's not working so well. There has to be a better way of life. People who are willing to say, Lord, change me. I didn't get saved in a seminary. In fact, I hear it's hard to find Jesus there. I didn't get saved even in a church. I got saved on my knees in the living room as a broken young man whose way of life and prideful way of living didn't work. And I said, Lord, change me. It was that simple. I felt something in the room for the first time. I felt God's Holy Spirit, His helper there. And He began to show me and lead me the way. Then he prayed. No, nope. back to ten. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for around nahorim and made his way to the town of Nahor. I, I promise to not keep breaking this up so much. Nahor, he who snores. <laughs> Don't name your kid Nahor. It's kind of like naming him You know, you ever meet a Hebrew they'll wonder why you name your kid that? He who snores. What's important about that? The church is asleep with the light on. We've heard all the same nursery rhymes. We've reduced the gospel to just three points in a poem and it's like we're asleep while the world is dying. The Holy Spirit's got to wake us up. We've got to learn to reflect in our deeds what we profess in our creeds. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. Galatians 3.24 teaches us that the reason the law of God was there was like a schoolmaster leading us to Christ. The law achieves its purpose when in the righteous commands of God it brings us to the knowledge We're dependent upon Jesus. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was towards evening, the time when women go out to draw water. Near evening. I don't know why God has seldom them early. I know He's never late. If it were me, I would have shown up at the first part of the day. But for whatever reason, God is willing to watch us struggle. He's willing to let us come to the conclusion that we need His help. And sometimes it's just before the darkest night you experience that you find God, the Helper, at your side. You say, well, why would He do this? Why let the whole world get to such a bad place? If there really is a God in heaven, why doesn't He just smush the devil immediately? Right? How many times have you all heard those things? Well, Second Peter 3.9 tells us it's because He's not slow in the way we understand slowness. It's that He's not willing that any should perish. And see, you understand what God is doing now because your eyes have been opened, but how many of your friends and family, how many of your neighbors have no idea what He's doing? And every day He delays in judgment is a day they might get saved. And how do they get saved? When somebody is Jesus' hands and feet in their life when somebody speaks the words of God and lives the works of God in front of them. That's when this book ceases to be a book and becomes something living and active in their lives. So it's towards the evening, at the time when women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring." And the daughters of the town people are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, before we get on to Eliezer's pickup line, let us think about something. He prays and he says, Oh God and my master, show kindness to Abraham. Kindness to Abraham. In the shadow and type, this is kindness to God, our Father. Why is it kindness to God, our Father? We need to understand something, saints. He delights in giving us His kingdom. He sees us as a radiant and pure bride. He is looking, searching whole earth for people who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. There is something about God that delights in us. How different is that from the image of God that we may have conjured up? An angry old man ready to hit you with a stick, pointing at your every flaw. Friends, that's the corrupt church. That's not God. God is a loving Father who is looking for the prodigal to return staring, running to him when he finds him. It's a kindness to the master Abraham, kindness to God, because what he desires most is that no man would perish. Even the hell that is spoken of, which I adamantly believe in and is an eternal real state, Revelation says it was created for the devil and fallen angels, not for human beings. We were made in the image of God. We're supposed to look and act like God. And we were supposed to replenish and subdue the earth. There was already a rebellion here. And God put miniature little hymns. That's not a good word. My mom's a teacher. She's going to, she's watching. She's going to let me know I didn't say that correctly. But he put little miniature versions of him, chips off the bigger block, that would go out and be an example to all of the creation in the universe what he is like. And we messed it up. But he sends out his spirit to teach us. And watch what he does when he finds us. May it be that when I say to a girl, Please, let down your jar, that I may have a drink. I don't know if that would work. These days, we buy the women drinks. When God was looking for a bride, He's looking for one that was willing to do something for Him. See, most people get saved with the idea of what God will do for them. In fact, all you hear on the TV is the Bless Me Gospel. God did this for me, and then He did this for me, and if you send it, He'll do it for you, I encourage you, pick up the phone, call them, say, I'm so excited about your message. If I send you a hundred, God will send me seven hundred. Will it work in reverse? You send me a hundred and let's see what God sends you. (laughs) If it won't work in reverse, it might not be God. If God speaks to you and says send a hundred, you do it. But don't you be compelled by some man appealing to your greed. There are fishers of funds out there more than there are fishers of men. We don't pass a plate in the church. You know why? If I have to tell you to give, something's wrong with your life. I just put a box in the back and God Himself will tell you to give because His Word says to do it. Please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, Drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. (laughs) What would you choose for your son? Well, I want somebody who would give my son a drink of water and water his livestock too. Not exactly 21st century... Dating rules, is it? What can you learn from this, though? When God was seeking a bride for the supernatural son, he wanted a bride who was willing to be a servant on the earth. A mark of a Christian. It's wonderful that you have Christian bumper stickers and t-shirts. We dress a certain way. We give a list of things that we don't do so that people will know we're Christians. People ought to know we're Christians by what we do. Not what we don't do. Goats were goats because they failed to try. All of the sheep tried. God will take care of your failures if you just don't fail to try. He'll work through your methods. In fact, the truth is He doesn't need us. He just likes us to want Him. One of the most basic human desires that you'll find, and people learn to manipulate it, is we all have a desire to be needed and to feel a part. And then it shows up you end work what they do for a living, and when they don't have a job, you see men depressed. For women, forgive me for being so honest, it usually shows up that you carry yourself in your appearance. You want people to desire you. So you dress a certain way. You fix your hair a certain way. Those things. And both of these cross over into male and female because this is how God made us. Now what's interesting is God really has no need. He doesn't have any reason that we should have to serve Him. And yet something in Him delights when we acknowledge that we need Him. See, He made us as a reflection of Him in that regard. Nothing makes you feel more happy than to walk into a group of people who are all happy to see you. What do you think it shows God when we've got our fingers in our ears and we're stomping our feet, trying to shut out His voice so that we can do what we want to do? He says, you're not needed here, big guy. I got it all under control myself. Well, He'll let you run with that until you run it right into the ground and get so full of the quail that you cried for it's coming out your nose. Then, uh, let's see, we'll pick up in 15. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. Now, my little cousin is not in here. Niece. Niece. The cousin in the Bible. She's a cousin. My sister's here and I just called her kid by the wrong familial name. Rebecca. I had heard all my life this meant irresistible. And it does. It means irresistible, but it means more than that. You look this up. Rebecca is the same word that you use something that ensnares you. And what this is trying to say is that men would be ensnared by her beauty. They would find her so irresistible that it was almost like a trap. And the, the sense that it's spoken of is a good sense. The Hebrews were very graphic people. If they said that they were resolute about something, they said, you sit your face, sits Flint. If they say she's beautiful, what they're saying, saying the word Rebecca is, my God, I'm enthralled or trapped. By her beauty, I can't quit looking at her. You know what's amazing about that? Think about what Jesus endured to purchase a bride for Himself. Surely He must have been trapped and snared by His affection for us, or He wouldn't have done it. It was for the joy set before Him, the Bible says, that He endured the cross. For the joy set before Him. Well, what is the joy? When groom takes bride and God and His people are one, one. Rebecca, irresistible. She was the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who is the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. Doesn't that seem a little redundant to you? She's a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. A little redundant, right? Ever read that and wonder why? This is not a comment on anybody's theology. I believe in a virgin birth of Jesus. Uh, virgin in the sense that she had never had sexual relations with anybody. But the word virgin meant an unmarried maiden. And he's being very clear here. He's saying not only had she never been married, she had been kept pure in a certain way. Okay? She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, please give me a little water for your jar. Get this picture. This guy is a servant in Abraham's household. Abraham's household has grown into a small nation at this point. He's a man of authority. And yet a girl, the lowest member of the social standing of the ancient Hebrews, is coming out to water something. And he runs to meet her. This is indicative of the fact that God will meet you right where you are. He is God and dwells in the high, lofty places. But he dwells in the broken and contrite hearts of human beings. Hurries to meet her. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have finished drinking. So she emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw more, and drew enough for all his camels without saying a word. Hmm. Keep your finger here, turn with me to Philippians 2. To get to Philippians, you'll make a ride in your Bible. You'll pass up the Gospels in the New Testament. You'll get into Pauline Epistles, and it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and we're going to be in Philippians. General Electric Power Company. Giants eat peas and carrots. There's a lot of ways you can remember that. In Philippians 2, look at these verses. If you have any encouragement, from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Saints, if the Church of the Living God actually did this on a daily basis, we could do away with telecast, we could do away with the radio, we could do away with our internet cameras, and all of the things that we do to preach the word. Because when we live this word, everyone looks and goes, "Something didn't do that." I know he had somewhere to be, and he stopped and changed my flat tire. You've seen his car? His car doesn't run that well. Why is he working on mine? Oh, he's one of those guys who considers me better because Jesus died for him and served him first and he follows his example. See, what you're looking for in a bride is somebody that will do for others what God has done for them. That's the the magic of the gospel is that he takes you from being somebody full of selfish ambition. What can I get? Steve describes a relative to me. It's funny. He says, I know with this relative, it's just going to be this way. He feels as if his job is to get my money that he can, and that my job is to keep him from doing it. So in order to love this brother, we have nothing to do with each other's money. And what's so funny is this is transparent, but most feel the same way. You know, any time a difficult path comes up, here's one, moving, Right? I'm sorry. I, I'm busy on that day. Wait, I didn't even tell you when it was. You know, well, but, but my back, right? But when that person's time to move, oh, friends, brothers, cherished loved ones, you've been on my Christmas list for years, right? Now, that's kind of a silly example, but the truth is we live in an environment that says dog eat dog and I'm out for myself. And the only time you hear anything else is if they're trying to manipulate you so that they can get what you have. When I was being trained in sales, I was being trained by a uh, Harvard MBA Jewish graduate, a man brilliant beyond belief, and he he told me something that was a brilliant observation, not a Christian. He says, all of the human race is motivated by either fear or greed. He said, you can get people to do anything you want if they're scared they're going to lose something or they hope to get something they don't have. I was a Christian sitting listening to that and broken because I realized how... It was true, now hear this, of everybody else, and it was true of me. And I realized, you know, I'm serving Jesus because of what he's done for me. But Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says that he saved me to do the good works he prepared in advance for me to do. Maybe it's time I need to start to live my life to see what I can do for other people. Something that's not based on the fear of loss or the greed of more. Something that is simply based on a demonstration of God's love in my life that I want to replicate for other people. And I found out something. There were times I didn't have very much. When you let everybody go before you every once in a while, you'll find a crowd of people that are selfish and they leave you without any. But God never let me go without. And then slowly people started to imitate that way of life. And when we all went to a meal, nobody would go first. We looked like those birds in the cartoon. They said, no, after you, no, after you, no, after you, and nobody could go. I had to foot race my closest friends to pay for my own groceries because this caught on. We realized that when you didn't live by selfish ambition but in humility considered everybody better than yourself, it was an abundant way of life. I came home one day, the lowest financial place I had ever been up to that point or since and I had stolen toilet paper from a Burger King. Now, I know y'all are all very holy, and you would never consider that. But until you've been without toilet paper for a while, we'll we'll leave that discussion for later. So I left my wife and kids in the car. I walked into the Burger King, said, Jesus, please forgive me. And I tore the entire container off the wall, put it under my... Walked out. And I did that because... I was embarrassed, I was ashamed, I didn't know what to do, and I didn't want to sit there and fiddle with the lock and try to, you know, do all that. So I tore it all off of the soul and I went out. And when I got home later that day, there was toilet paper sitting on my doorstep along with some groceries. And I began to learn something. There's nothing the arm of man can give me that the Spirit of God can't. And if I'd been patient for an hour longer, I wouldn't have been a thief. And there's the story of my life. The times I get impatient and get ahead of God are the times I end up in sin and shame and labeled with something that is ungodly. Now, I want you to think about this. I didn't tell anybody I needed toilet paper because I was proud. But God had to speak to somebody else who was a 17-year-old boy without a wife and family that didn't understand the situation that I was in. And not only tell him to go buy groceries, so while he's there, and buy toilet paper too. See, your obedience to God means life for someone or death for someone. The difference between that young man's obedience in my life that day was the research that God cares about me or that God doesn't care about me. Now what has God tried to use you for in your life to speak a message to someone else? Does your message speak to a life or does your life speak a message to people God cares about them? Or does it speak a message that God doesn't care? How about we start with small things? Let your buddy in in traffic. Uh, And without the one-finger salute? Yeah. How about we just, when you show up at a checking line, checkout line, maybe you don't race to beat the mother with her four children to the line because you know it's going to take so long for them to check out all of that baby food. Maybe you could park in the furthest space in a parking lot so that the little old lady with the knee replacement could take the first one. right? See, when we do these things in the little areas of our life, the bigger areas start to fall in place. I'm working with all of the leadership in our church to set the kind of example that says if a burden to be taken anywhere, the leadership takes it first. You know why I'm willing to do that? Because I know that the congregation will look and see that and go, that's the 14th time in a row that person served in children's church. Maybe I should step up and help. See, this is the way that the kingdom works. We demonstrate God's love, and others learn to reciprocate it. He picks a boy who will serve. And serve, when we talk about service, friends, think about this. A drink for a man that you drew from a well, well, that's us. But to water ten camels? Anybody in here ever rode a camel? I have. They're disgusting creatures, Fearfully, wonderfully made, and I got in trouble talking about them one time and all their little parts, but their feet, their feet have got these little cushions in them so that they spread out when they touch the sand. A camel's version of air conditioning is that it has thick urine, thick like jelly, thick. That it pees down the back of its legs so that when it sands in the wind, that moisture and water goes over its whole body. Isn't that nice? camel's mad at you, it will bite you. And if it can't reach you because it's harnessed, it will spit on you. Very, very nice. animals. And when they bite you, it hurts. Okay? I spent four days in the desert with some camels. And I liked mine all right, but my buddy's was not so nice. She watered all ten camels. They can drink a lot. A, a camel can drink 50 gallons of water because it doesn't need to drink for many days after that. But it can drink 50 gallons of water. Think about that. That's a barrel. That's a hundred and twenty-seven dollar barrel of oil. Yeah, how about that? All right. The servant hurried uh, after she had given him a drink, and she said, "I'll draw water for your camels too until they are finished drinking." So they quickly emptied her jar into the trough. Ten of them could be five hundred gallons of water. She ran back to the well to draw more water until she drew enough for all the camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. I want you to get this. There are times in your life where God will stand back and watch you closely to see whether His Word has been a success in your life. Sometimes you say, oh, I don't feel in this moment. this moment. I just feel dry. I don't know what's going on. God, why have you abandoned me? And he just simply stepped back a second to see what you will do with what He's already given you. How do you teach a kid to walk or swim or ride a bike? He's teaching us to walk with Him. And so, of course, you don't feel Him every moment whispering in your ear unless you're an infant in His arms. But as you grow up, He's supposed to give you some space so He can watch you closely and see what you do with it. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold Nose ring. Wang of Becca. Now, I know you parents in here, you get horrified when we begin to teach something like this. How happy would you be if all of your teenagers walked in with a giant gold nose ring? I got two sons, Judah and Gabriel, and a daughter named Abigail, and I suspect I would not be all that happy if she walked in and it weighs up. Right? With a giant nose ring. And yet in this culture, what this symbolizes, gold is a medal of divinity. And when you wanted to lead an animal that was bigger and stronger than you, one that you couldn't force around, the surest way to do it was to put a ring in that oxen's nose. And then wherever you pulled the ring, you know what the oxen did? It went where you wanted him to go. Yeah. This symbol of being divinely led. God is looking for a bride for his promised son who has a servant's heart. And it's willing to be divinely led. In fact, Romans 8.14 says, As many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. So the way we know the sons of God is by what we profess in our belief. Not at all. We know where the sons of God is. We dress. Really? None of us dress like Jesus. Any of you got on a one-piece garment that goes from head to toe that looks a lot like a dress? No? Then it's not the way we dress. Well, it's because we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't blah, 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 blah. Jesus did some of those things, but we'll talk about that on another day. It's not because of what we don't do. It's because we do whatever His Spirit tells us to do. And if you're Ezekiel, that means shave your head with a sword, lay on your side a certain number of days, and we won't get into his culinary habits. Yeah. See, we do whatever He says. You know what that makes Him? Our Lord and Our Master. That's a lot different than simply saying, well, I'm a Christian and I believe, and then doing whatever you want to do, all the way to hell. But wearing the right title. I was baptized many times as a kid before I got born again. I was a sinner when I went in the water, and when I came out of the water, I was still a sinner, and it was just wet. There was no real change in my life. I don't care how long you've called yourself a Christian. You are not a Christian until there is a real change in your life. And if your own mother can't see the difference, then quit lying to yourself. Sometimes we rush to an altar to meet an emotional altar call because we got the warm fuzzies. The problem is the warm fuzzies aren't there on Monday when you go to work with your buddies. Jesus died. He died a gruesome death, naked and bleeding, before the whole world. Would you marry somebody that would only show up in nice clothes on Wednesdays and Sundays? Would you? Wouldn't you want somebody who was a lifetime companion day and night? Went to bed and you knew what they would be there when you woke up? Why do we think God would settle for less in His bride? Why do we think He wants a prom date? Once a year we'll meet together tell each other lies in our nice clothes. Easter and Sunday maybe. He wants a lifetime mate who is based on servanthood, who is divinely led, and watch this. The camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring, weighing a becca, and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Two gold bracelets. James 4, 8-10 through 10 says, Purify your heart, sinners. Wash your hands. Weep, wail, and mourn before your God. Our hands are the things that we've done most of the bad things in our life that we've done. You know, I still have scars on my hands from the times in which I was attacked by someone's face when I was a kid. Yeah, and uh, it was these hands that, when I was seven, I sold candy bars from the local Seven Eleven. My sister blackmailed me for months doing her dishes. These hands that I did all kinds of things with, but the moment that I was born again, these hands became clean. They became uses of the divine God, so that, like First Timothy 2, eight says, I could raise my holy hands. Without wrath or malice. You ever wondered why Christians raise their hands? Well, the Jews have done this forever, so it's a very Jewish thing. You're raising these hands that you do things with before God, declaring that He has made them holy and you're thankful. That's why we do that. When the camels had finished, running, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a Becca, and took two gold bracelets weighing 10 shekels. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who bore to Nahor." And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Why did she offer him straw and fodder? And why did she invite this strange man and all of his camels, and you'll find out there were other men with him too, to her house? Because she cared more about his needs than her own. He didn't ask her to feed them. didn't ask her to feed all of the camels. But she offered. The heart of Christianity is when we look towards other people's needs instead of our own. Where we want to meet theirs before ours because we trust God's going to meet ours anyway. Now God going use us to meet other people. The covenant that was struck stricken was that God would send out His servant. His servant would go find a willing bride. A willing bride who had a servant's heart was willing to be divinely led, use her hands for God's service. And see other people's needs before her own. How well do you match up to that? See, it's easy to look in the earth. those Catholics, those Presbyterians, those Baptists, those whatever you're not. You said, Well, we're non denominational. Well, that's kind of become a denomination, hasn't it? Yeah. Non denominational. I thought it meant no denominations of money, um, non profit organizations. That's not what this is about. What this is about is looking into the mirror of God's Word and evaluating your own life. Saying, Lord, how do I measure up to what you've called me to be? Saying, But, but I don't keep doing this. And Lindsay, what difference does it make? What are you doing with what God's given you? Because it's done an awful lot. This story's been around now for more than 4,000 years for us to learn from. And the man who this book, by the way, Forty four different authors on several different continents almost all gave their lives for it. And the guys that printed it in our language, in English for us, were burned on the printing presses that they printed it on by the so called Christians, who called the Bible a pest. You know when you still don't own a Bible in your own language up until nineteen sixty nine? In Italy? Any language other than Latin? equal. Hmm. Open your eyes. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. God considers it kindness and faithfulness when his people turn towards him with wholehearted devotion. As for me, the Lord has led me on my journey to the house of my master's relatives. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebekah had a brother named Laban. Anybody know the story of Laban? Laban changed Jacob's wages how many times? He says, look, look, Laban, uh, I'm going to work for you, but I want that beautiful daughter. He says, okay, and then gives the daughter who doesn't see so well and maybe was hard to marry off. He says, okay, well, look, uh, what are my wages? Well, your wages are the speckled ones until the speckled ones grow. And then he says, maybe the ones without spots until they grow. Laban was a guy who uh, needed some help. Listen to the witness in the changed life of Rebecca here. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebecca had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring, saw that she was divinely led, and the bracelet saw that the works of her hands were the righteous works of God on his sister's arms, and he heard Rebecca tell what the man had said to her. He saw the divine leading, he saw the righteous works of her hands, and he heard her own testimony... He went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring, and he said, Come, you who are blessed by the Lord. He said, Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house in place for the camels too. You want to know why people around you don't see Jesus as attractive? Why people around you are not begging, saying, What is the way to be saved? Maybe they don't see divine leading righteous acts and the words of your testimony. Maybe when God called us to speak up, we shut up. And when He called us to act, we stayed home in bed. The Bible presents witness in a reverse scenario from the way that it's presented now. Now we teach people a Roman road to salvation and we have Christian witness training. We have programs to teach you to trap people in elevators to present Christ. None of you came to Christ that way. I'm almost positive. But people will still try The Bible presents it this way. Be ready... To answer everyone who asked you. Be ready to answer everyone who asked you. Well, you got to live a life that will prompt a question then. They need to see that you're divinely led. They need to see righteous works in your hands. Not perfection, but the hands that were dirty are now interested in doing clean things. And they need to hear the words of your testimony. And then you know what? They'll make room in their hearts for the same change they've seen in you. Because the truth is, the people that are doing themselves silly or that are injecting themselves to escape reality, they don't need to be told they're going to hell. They know that. They're trying to get inebriated so fast. They're in hell already. Their life's choices have made their life hell for them. They need to hear that it's possible to be divinely led, that it's possible for their dirty hands to be made clean. They need to hear that it's possible for them to be wed to Christ to find an abundant way of life to have a chance how many people do you know won't go to church because of the people in the church and we always point and say some other church well where does it stop when do we start to be something different this may just be a story about Abraham and an unnamed servant and a girl with a nose ring to some people but in it I see my life I see the areas that I need to grow I see the times when my bracelets are not quite golden. And I want to do better. I pray that it compels you in the same way. We're nearing the end here and I hope we would finish the chapter, but we may not. We'll just do what we do and see what happens. So the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. <laughs> Remind you of another act that happened in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life? Washing the feet. Then food was set before him, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Matthew 6.25 teaches us that our life is about more than what we wear or what we eat or drink. The kingdom of heaven is not to be reduced to those things. Something that was more important than this guy feeding himself after a long journey was that he accomplished what God had sent him to do sounds a lot like John 4.32 where the disciples are saying, Jesus, did you just need some food we don't know about? He goes, oh, yeah. Man, i got food you don't know anything about. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me. If we lived to do the will of Him who sent me three times a day like I crave water burger, the church would be in better shape. We need to crave spiritually in the same way that our flesh craves. Well, how do you do that? Well, when you're a child, you don't know water burger's good, so it's not interesting but somebody introduced you to it at some point, and now I can't get enough. The Word of God is the same way. You first have to taste and see that it's good, and then you develop a taste for it. And all of a sudden, you can't get enough of it. And there are days when you wake up and think, I'm not going to eat another bite. I am so tired from yesterday. Then you start thinking about it. So You know, I'm not really hungry, but I could go study a little bit, and before long, you are engrossed in it, and it is changing your life. Then tell us," Laban said. So he said, "I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle. That's a flock, friends. Silver. Silver is the metal of redemption in the Bible. And gold, divinity. Men servants and maid servants. Camels, the law, and donkeys. Donkeys. By the way, you'll like this one. Donkeys are symbolic in the Bible of the human will. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? You do six tests. You want to find out how far a bullet will go through a human being? You shoot a pig? (laughs) They're they're the animals in all the animal kingdom that has the flesh most similar to that of a man. And in the Bible, you want to find out about man's spirit? He likens us to a donkey. That's another message all in itself. But God owns them all. The donkey-like man's spirit? (laughs) He owns you. It's just a question of whether or not you want to be obedient to what he owns. My master's wife Sarah has borne him a son in our old age, and have given him everything he owns. John 16:15 says that all that the Father has is mine. The beginning of the Great Commission at the end of Matthew is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This righteous son who we are promised to be wed to owns everything that is God's. I took a loan application from a man one time when that was my job whose wife had a gambling problem. He had taken many loan applications and he had made it all the way down to the bottom dwellers where I was, B.C. lenders. And he failed even with us. And I cried with the man on the phone because I began to realize that she had ripped off everybody that the man knew. Everybody. She had stolen his credit cards, everything else, but that's not what was sad. What was sad is he still loved her and was willing to pay the debt if he could. And I thought, you know, I'd do anything. I'd prize fight for my wife. This is the place in which God speaks about you. His women do anything to the point where you have them tear apart his body. He let them do horrible things to his promised son because he loves you. See, it's like the love of a husband for his wife or a father for a child. Our relationships are but poor reflections of what God's relationship is supposed to be to us. There is a righteous son, a promised son, supernaturally born. He owns everything that's God's. And he would do anything for you if you were just willing, which was the first requirement. And my master made me swear on an oath. You must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. But go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for me. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, don't be yoked with an unbeliever. You're not allowed to be. We're supposed to be yoked to Christ and those who are His. Don't do missionary dating. Don't see people in the hopes that they will become Christ and join yourself to them. Instead, you love them, you realize what they are, you help them, you serve them until they're in Christ. Then I ask my master, what if the woman is not willing? We go all the way through the same story again and he repeats this. So we're going to Pick back up in verse 50 so that I can finish this chapter today. Laban said to Bethuel, Laban and Bethuel answered, This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go. Let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord, then the servant brought out gold and silver and jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. Gold, divinity, silver, redemption, jewelry, and clothing. Like the gifts of the Spirit are the jewelry. And the clothing is your new garment of praise and the righteous acts of the saints. In every way, God has treated us like bride. And gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother... Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, Let the girl remain with us ten days or so, then you may go. But he said to them, Do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. I don't have time to talk to you about all the things that detain us from coming when Jesus calls us. Whether it's family ties, your job, loyalties to friends in the world. But at some point, we hear the voice of God. And we need to say, let nothing detain me. God is giving me success. And you don't slow down, let up or shut up until you get there. This servant refused to be detained, even for good reasons. Remember, this girl's never seen Isaac, just like you've never seen Jesus. But the testimony about him she's heard is trustworthy. And the evidences in her life of his goodness, the divinity, the redemption, the spiritual gifts, the clothing and righteousness, all of those things are worth it. So they asked her. Then they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? Saints, I'm asking you today, things that have detained you, God has a successful life ahead of you, an abundant life. The question is, will you go with the Spirit of God? Will you go with God the helper? Will you do it? Her answer is, I will go. Think about her faith in this regard. Never seen the man, never been to the country he's in, doesn't know anything about him, and she's pledging her whole life to him based on the witness of the guy whose life is like the Holy Spirit and the things that she's seen happen. Based on that. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, this new church, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Genesis twenty-two seventeen teaches that that's exactly what God said his descendants would do to the gates of their enemies, possess them. And Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. In fact, we're going to end up possessing the whole thing. Then Rebecca and her maids got ready and mounted their camels, riding on the commands of God, and went with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Beer Laharoi. <laughs> Just a funny Hebrew name. Except this funny Hebrew name means the well of him who lives and sees. The promised Son is dwelling with the well of salvation. The Holy Spirit leads you to Him. And Jesus stands up and says like He did in John 7:37, If any man is thirsty, let him come and drink of me. In Him is everything that we ever needed to live, to truly see, to be in God and know the world as God intends it to be. That's where He's dwelling when He sees us. And we're being drawn towards Him. For He is living in the Negev He went out to a field one evening to meditate. Another way to say pray. And he looked up and he saw the camels approaching. Rebecca, that's the irresistible one, that's you. Also looked up and saw Isaac, the promised son. Look up, your redemption draws nigh. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man coming to meet us in the field? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. The reason a veil covers the bride's face is because the way in which you know a woman prior to marrying her is nothing compared to the way that you know her the day after you're married, when the veil's removed. There's a whole nother level of intimacy. Friends, I'm experiencing intimacy with God now, and I am loving it. But Corinthians 13.12 says, it's like looking through a dimly lit glass. It's veiled. There is a day coming when God will join with all those that are His, and it blow the doors off anything you experience now. That's what we're looking forward to. She covers herself with a veil at first. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah. And he married Rebekah. Now that seems strange to us. But see, there's this prophecy in Genesis 9 about the descendants of Shem and the rest of the world needing to come into the tents of Shem to be saved. The Shemites, the Semitic people groups, are the Jews. And if we want to be saved, we embrace the God of the Jews by way of the promised son. In this story, Isaac, 2,000 years later, Jesus. We come into their tent. So she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. The religious format of Israel has died. There is no more temple. There is no more Levitical priesthood. And now what God is looking for are people that answer the call of the promised Son who sent out God's Spirit to draw us. And we come into Judaism, into that way of life, in a marriage to Jesus our King. You don't owe your allegiance to anybody but Him. No one. You don't know your love and affection to anybody but Him. It just so happens that He compels you to show it to all without limit. The little girl must have been scared going to marry a man she had never met in a place she had never been with a guy she had only known for a day. But something in her burned and told her it was the right thing to do. Before I accepted Jesus and before He accepted me, I was scared. It was a life in a place I had never been. It meant that I would leave, in a manner of speaking, everybody that I was comfortable with, and begin a new way of life. But my heart burned in me, and I knew it was the right thing to do. So I answered, "Yes, I will go." The Lord, change me. And I began that journey, and I'm still on it, and I'll be on it till the day that I die, and we meet each other in the kingdom that is God's. Question is, where will you be? You detained along the way? Are you saying, I would like to go, but don't have the courage? Or will you stand with God, accept His divine leading, accept His washing of your righteous hands, and live in a covenant with Him? Now stand to your feet. We'll pray.